Good morning. Do uh, keep that passage open in front of you. I'm sure that will be helpful to you. Uh, And before we begin, why don't I? uh, Why don't we pray together? Father God, we uh, do pray for strength and humility and wisdom as we look at this uh, quite difficult topic. Uh, We pray that your truths would be clear to us and that you would keep us trusting in your words uh, during the good days and the more difficult days as well. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, um, as an introduction to this quite difficult, although very good question of uh, why do good people suffer, I wanted to share something of my story with you. uh, I, I know that maybe I look quite young. Uh, maybe you were surprised when you heard that I would be preaching on this topic today. And so I wanted you to know that this is something that I've had to think about um, sort of fairly personally, fairly practically, as well as um, sort of more theologically. Uh, I'm not telling you this so you can feel sorry for me. Uh, I just thought it would be helpful to us as we uh, start off today. So Um, My family, as I grew up, they were not a Christian family. Uh, My mum was often very ill. She suffered with some combination of anorexia, the eating disorder, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Earlier in her life, she had been forcibly committed to a mental hospital, and because of that very stressful experience for her, she refused treatment um, from that point onwards. For many years, it was fairly, um, although sort of obvious that she struggled with these things, it was fairly manageable. Uh, But when I was around seven, her dad died. And from that point onwards, she suffered much more acutely with her symptoms. She uh, often turned to alcohol to deal with the intense anxiety that she felt. And this often meant that when my dad was at work, I was the responsible one at home. Uh, Mum was often uh, very drowsy or asleep because of the amount of alcohol that she drank. And again, because of the little she was eating um, combined with the, um, the amount that she drank, she would often fall over and injure herself as well, which led to lots of arguments between my parents as well as it being a fairly um, stressful experience for me as a kid as well. And then just before my 14th birthday, um, my mum had a, what was meant to be a routine operation, but again, because her body was very weak, um, she couldn't cope with the anaesthetic and she passed away during the operation. A few months later, around nine months later, my dad remarried, and uh, I became part of a new step family. Um, And really, it went from being, I went from being sort of maybe an adult uh, too young, as a sort of 12, 13-year-old, to being very much um, sort of like a naughty child, (laughs) feeling a bit like a naughty child in this new family. Um, There was a whole different range of tensions and stresses. And for, for, for those years, really, from when I was 14 to 18, I was living for that day when I could leave for university. Uh, when I left for university, um, really, since that point, I've very rarely seen my family, despite numerous attempts on my side to meet up with them. Um, and actually, just before I came to Hong Kong, I decided that after many years of not talking about this topic um, with my family, I decided I wanted to ask my dad whether he wanted uh, for us to have more contact than we did. Because really, since in the last nine years, I've maybe seen him three, four times, and we've spoke maybe half a dozen times on the phone. Anyway, so I, I called my dad and I, I asked him if he wanted us to see each other more. And the answer was a clear no. He's happy with the new family that he has, the uh, new life that he has. And while all family situations are, are very complex, I'm sure, and I'm sure there are things that I could have done better, um, for the purpose of today's message, I wanted you to know that this is something yeah, I've had to think about sort of fairly personally uh, for myself. And 
I'm sure many of you too have had times when um, life just seems very hard, uh, when the path that you've been given to walk just seems like it's too painful. And so on that note, uh, we're going to think of it today about why, why is it that good people seem to suffer? And, um, you know, personal suffering aside, this question of suffering is also one of the most common questions that I get asked by non-Christians. And it's also one of the things that as Christians we find very difficult too, isn't it? So uh, there's sort of the big news suffering. There's the typhoon in the Philippines. Uh, There's the political regime in North Korea. Uh, There's personal heartache, isn't there? There's things like bereavement, divorce, uh, relationship breakdown. There's times when we get ill, when we get sick. And then there's just the frustrations of life, isn't there? So um, compared to things like the, um, the typhoon in the Philippines, these things are pretty small. Uh, but when they happen to us, they still wear our spirits down. So when we have to work with really difficult, really annoying colleagues, or when we get flu, they're sort of small compared to the typhoon in the Philippines. But they're still, uh, they still wear our spirits down. They still make life seem very difficult. And we often have a response when this happens of, why, God, why must I feel this pain? How long, O oh Lord, will this continue? And so to help us think about this topic, we're going to look at three points today. Uh, firstly, a broken world. Uh, secondly, real pain. And finally, real hope. Uh, So let's start our broken world. While we live in a broken world, this probably doesn't surprise you. And as we've just thought about, many of the things in this world are not the way they should be. Natural disasters, wars, illness, death, relationship breakdown. There's something within us that instinctively recognizes that there is something that is not quite right. And, you know, we often lay the blame at God's door, don't we? We say, if God were powerful and loving... Would he not do something? And we often think, well, God doesn't seem to be doing very much. And so we conclude that either God is not powerful enough to do what love would require, or he is not loving enough to do what he could to fix the brokenness of our world. However, the Bible tells us that the brokenness of our world does not come from a world that has slipped out of control of a less powerful God. Neither does it tell us that the world is at the mercy of a vindictive or wicked God that delights in the suffering of his creation. No, God created a perfect world, a good world, a world without pain, without sickness, without natural disasters. And this perfect world was given as a gift to the people he created. It was a good world. It was a very good world. And how did they respond, these people that had received this gift? Well, Adam and Eve responded by rebelling against God. They did not want God to be in charge, and so they tried to take control. They rejected God's rule and wanted to put themselves in the place of God. And the punishment for that was that they were cursed. Creation was cursed, and sin now reigned in the world. Sin is that Christian word, isn't it, that we use to describe uh, our rebellion against God, living in God's world, but wanting to be in charge of the world rather than letting God rule. And the world became broken. Now let me be clear here, there are times and situations where we innocently suffer from someone else's sinful attitude. But if we are honest with ourselves, we are no different to Adam and Eve in at least one regard. We don't like God being in charge. We are also sinners in this world. 
And while we may be victims on occasion, we are, without Jesus, we are primarily sinners living in God's world. What does that mean then, practically? Well, it means when we're thinking about suffering, we need to own that part of the problem is not God, but people. There is enough food to feed the world. The problem is we're not distributing it well enough. It means that when we suffer, before we fall into the trap of blaming God, we must recognize that the brokenness of our world is not a part of the world that God originally created. Death, illness, natural disasters are here because we are rebellious people. And so surely one uh, response when we experience these things must be a deeper understanding of how sinful we are. Now I am at risk of being misunderstood here, so let me be very clear. It is not true that our individual suffering is a direct response to our individual sinfulness. This is not karma. Yet it is true that the brokenness and suffering in our world is because we are a people that have rebelled against our creator. And a good way to test the way we think about this, I think, is to think a bit about um, our passage for today. As you heard that reading about what happened to Jesus on the cross, the beatings, the torture, the nails through the hands, the crucifixion, are we more likely to think that God seems to have let things get out of control That surely God cannot be in control. This is his son on the cross, and yet no rescue comes. Or are we more likely to think, well, my sin must be really serious and really offensive to God, that this is the just punishment for my rebellion against him. We need to accept some responsibility here, and many people find this answer to the question of suffering fairly distasteful. We want the problems in our world to be God's problem. And while there is more to suffering uh, than this question of sinfulness, as we will see shortly, we must be realistic here. The Bible clearly portrays one reason for suffering as being a response to our sinfulness. And in light of our rebellion, it might be more reasonable to ask, how can God allow so much happiness when people are so unrelenting in their pursuit of self over God, when there is so little holiness in our world, it might be easier to be surprised at how much happiness, beauty and joy there is than to be bitter over how much suffering. Well, I wonder what you think about that, but let's move on to point two, uh, real pain. Well, as we've said, it's a common question, isn't it? I'm sure many of you who are Christians will have been asked this question before. How can you believe in God when there is so much suffering? And and I find that particular phrasing of the question often comes from atheists. And I often want to reply, well, isn't it a much harder question for atheists, for atheism? How do you explain the existence of pain and suffering? And I think this brings us to a really key point. Please don't fall into the trap of thinking that it is only religion that needs to explain suffering. No, all worldviews, even atheism, must deal with this question. And if we believe that, be, that the world is just made up of molecules and that uh, the main uh, reason for our existence, the main cause of our existence is, is that of natural selection, then it's very hard to argue that, for example, we should be upset at, say, orphans being mistreated in Africa. I mean, it's just survival of the fittest, isn't it? There's limited resources in our world. Many people think we're getting close to the limit in terms of the number of people this earth can sustain. 
and the strongest will survive. That's just the way the world works, isn't it? And the deaths of those on the other side of the world, well, that just means it's more likely that me and my family will survive. There's no reason to be upset. So why is it then that we feel such injustice and such and, and we feel so outraged when we hear about suffering, even when it is far removed from us, both practically and genetically. It's very hard to answer this kind of question from an evolutionist viewpoint, and all worldviews, Christianity or any religion, even atheism, they must make sense of the world around us in a meaningful way. And so recognizing this fact, let me uh, quote from Tim Keller, uh, who shows the unique place of Christianity in, um, in terms of this question of suffering. In this quote, uh, Tim Keller uses this word contra, which is a fairly unusual word. It just means unlike, so different. So t- Tim Keller says, Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. That contra Buddhism, suffering is real. That contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering can be meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. I think one of the saddest moments of the whole Bible um, for me is Mark uh, 1534, which was from our passage today, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who had been there at at the creation of the world, who had been born as a man, lived among his creation, loved them, cared for them, yet was unfairly executed by them. But of course, this was more than a physical punishment, wasn't it? Um, We should have been there on the cross. Jesus was being punished for our sin. It's our punishment that he's taking. And as God the Father punishes Jesus for our sin, uh, the connection they shared between them as two members of the Trinitarian God is broken. As God's anger at sin uh, gets turned upon Jesus, and because of God's immense holiness, means that God the Father turns away from Jesus on the cross. And of course, that's why Jesus says he was forsaken. If if there's ever been an unjust killing, do you not think this was it? Yet out of this unfair, uh, torturous suffering comes salvation. And as Christians, we we look at the cross and we say the cross was a tragedy, but we also say this is our greatest triumph. It's because Jesus died on the cross uh, that we can be saved, that we can enter into relationship with God. And so if this is the central message of Christianity then, well, what does this mean for the question of suffering? Well, it means that because God is sovereign and wise and loving, that good can come out of suffering. So the cross was a tragedy, but it brought immense good. Out of suffering can come good. I don't know whether this has been your experience too, that sometimes even out of the most difficult times, we find that good things come. Um, I certainly would not be the person that I am today. I will probably not be a Christian without my uh, difficult family life at times. It also means that difficulties and trials do not equate to a lack of love for us. Do you think God the Father loved Jesus less when Jesus was on the cross? Of course not. We must not mistake suffering with a lack of love. I mean, we see this time and time again in the Bible, even in the most 
One of the most famous verses in the whole Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we suffer, we often feel very lonely and very unloved. But this is a lie. God loves us, loves us so much he sent his son to rescue us. And though he may, he may sometimes ask us to walk a difficult path. This is not because he does not love us. And so as we go through difficult times, we must remember that though the pain we feel is real, God can bring good out of suffering. And we must not mistake suffering with a lack of God's love for us. God demonstrates his love for us by sending his son to die in our place. Well, finally, uh, point three, real hope. It's true, isn't it, that life can be very painful now. Uh, But for those who trust in Jesus... Uh, We know that this suffering will just be for a little while. And this is a really important part of the suffering question. The longer that I'm a Christian, the more I think I could not live in this world um, without God. And recently I was particularly struck by the UN report on North Korea. Uh, It's very recent. It was published um, just in December, I think. And it details even um, very recent cases of some of the most... uh, dreadful suffering that is going on in North Korea. Much of what is going on there parallels some of the worst parts of our history, Nazi Germany and Mao's cultural revolution in China. And as I read through the report, you know, it's just so heartbreaking that there's still this place in the world where these things are happening. And I really think the only way that I could keep going is knowing that one day this injustice and pain will stop. One day God will come and there will be justice. And we know that while we don't deserve it, for those who trust in Jesus' sacrifice, that that day, that day is going to be a great day. Uh, Revelation 21 describes it as follows. Look, God's dwelling place is, is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is right that we feel that suffering is wrong. We should. We are made in the image of God. We are made for a redeemed world, one without suffering. And God graciously, despite our rebellion, has promised this for those who trust in Jesus. And how can we know this for sure? Well, we know this because we look back to the first resurrection, to the resurrection of Jesus. A real historical event, his resurrection, the first of many. And we look forward to being raised with him, with new bodies that will not wither or fail. And so to answer the question, why do good people suffer? Well, if I was going to be very precise, I would say, well, the only fully good person was Jesus. Why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for you, to rescue you. But speaking more broadly and maybe more fairly to the spirit of the question, why is it that people seem to suffer so unjustly? Well, one part of the answer is we live in a broken world, a world corrupted by sin, and we need to include ourselves in that. 
Secondly, we acknowledge that there is real pain in this life, but we also acknowledge that uh, God may have a good plan for our lives in which suffering is a part, and we need to allow for God's greater wisdom and trust in his love for us. And finally, we don't always know all the reasons, do we? But for the Christian, we can know that this suffering won't be for long, and we look forward to that world that is promised to us, a world without pain. Well, let me pray for us as we close. Father God, we are sorry for the times when we blame you for the bad things in our world that are really a result of our collective sinfulness. We look forward to this world being fully redeemed and renewed, and we pray uh, that this certain hope of a future with you, a future without pain, we pray that that the knowledge of that future will give us courage to live wholeheartedly for you now. We pray for a deep knowledge of your love, and especially as we go through difficult times, we pray that we will be fully convinced of your love for us. We thank you that you can bring good out of pain, and we pray that you would give us confidence in that. And we particularly pray for those among our church family, uh, those in our city, those in our world that are suffering today. And we pray uh, for your comfort for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.